Please hear the word of the Lord. One day the angels came to show themselves before the Lord, and Satan was with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, I have been wandering around the earth, going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him. He is an honest and innocent man, honoring God and staying away from evil. But Satan answered the Lord, Job honors God for a good reason. You have put a wall around him, his family, and everything he owns. You have blessed the things he has done. His flocks and herds are so large they almost cover the land. But reach out your hand and destroy everything he has, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, All right then, everything Job has in your power, but you must not touch Job himself. Then Satan left the Lord's presence. One day, Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine together at the oldest brother's house. A messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were eating grass nearby when the Sabians attacked and carried them away. They killed the servants with swords, and I am the only one escaped to tell you. The messenger was still speaking when another messenger arrived and said, Lightning from God fell from the sky. It burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. The second messenger was still speaking when another messenger arrived and said, The Babylonians sent three groups of attackers that swept down and stole your camels and killed the servants. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. The third messenger was still speaking when another messenger arrived and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine together at the oldest brother's house. Suddenly, a great wind came from the desert, hitting all four corners of the house at once. The house fell in on the young people, and they are all dead. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. When Job heard this, he got up and tore his robe and shaved his head to show how sad he was. Then he bowed down to the ground to worship God. He said, I was naked when I was born, and I will be naked when I die. The Lord, gave me these thing, the Lord gave these things to me, and he has taken them away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or blame God. This is God's word.
to being a human being, it's that we have times in our lives that we suffer. Uh, we began this morning with our prayer requests, and as we gather, we hear what's going on in people's lives, and sometimes we hear what's going on in other people's lives. We don't really hear what's going on in our life. We, we pray for others. Somebody has cancer. Um, certainly, I was thinking a lot about uh, Kelly and Doug yesterday. They were at a good friend's funeral. Um, I was at a funeral this week, um, and so there's a number of things that are on our lives that sometimes when we gather for church, we love, you know, some of the simple songs, right? We love, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And yet there comes a time in our lives where we need to go deeper. You know, we need to have those stories that say, what happens when life is uncomfortable? What happens when we suffer? Whenever we suffer, we, we go through an inevitable time of reflection, like, what, what did I do wrong? Why is this happening to me? And, and so I wondered, we, for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about what does it mean to be a, a, an uncommon church? And I think that one, one of the characteristics, at least for me, to be uncommon is the ability to, to have what I call honest faith. Sometimes we think of faith as kind of a platitude, something that will get you through the hard time, something that will ease the pain of suffering and say, well, somewhere along the line, it will all make sense. But I wondered if we, for just today, um, can go deeper and say, what does it mean for us to suffer, for us to go through a hard time, for us to grieve? And I don't mean just, you know, an unhappy day, and I mean serious why, Lord, is the world the way it is? What happens when we have that unwanted companion? We always ask the same question. There's always that response. Whenever something really horrific happens in your life, why? Why me? Why now? Why them? Why us? Why, why does this happen the way it does? And sometimes those questions have, we often give simple answers to very complex situation. But the reason that I wanted to start with this study of the book of Job is there is no other book in scripture or I would beg to, to say in literature that talks about suffering and the human condition with more brutal honesty than the book of Job. The understanding of, of what's truly going on. And I hope that for a moment, if, and I know that you're sitting there, but if you would, take a moment, uh, open up your sermon notes, your, your bulletin, you'll see some sermon notes. We spent some time because all of us have in our lives suffered. I, I wanted to ask you just a, a real quick, think about somebody, maybe it's even yourself, a time when you have suffered, you've gone through a dark, dark place a time of deep grief, and, and not just for the loss of a loved one, but maybe for the loss of a dream, 
a a situation that was out of your control. And I want you to put you mentally in that place as we enter this story to begin to understand as Christians, as, as people living as God's children, what are we to make of suffering in God's kingdom? What is it that we are called to do? Now, there's a couple of things that will happen that you will see, and and I've seen it here in this church, and I've seen it just about everywhere that I go. There are always two responses. When you are faced with a a situation that is out of your control, and and I mean a situation that is gut-wrenching, that you can't control and you don't know what to do, there will always be two responses, almost always two responses. The first one, oh, this is, I'm sorry, this is a passage from um, Frederick Nietzsche. He said, to live is to suffer. And to survive is to find some meaning. And so what we're going to try and do for our time together is try to understand what is is happening in the story of Job and and maybe what is happening in our lives as well as we we go through. There's, There's something that I want us to understand. The first thing that we have to do is we have to avoid what are called pat answers. Avoid pat answers. Those easy answers, those platitudes that we often offer that seem to make sense. They they don't really uh, help us at all, um, but they help keep things in control. They're not really true, but they sound good at the moment. And often it helps the person that's saying it more than it is the person who is receiving it. And here are the two things that you will find most often. The first one is, is you will have what is called the moralist perspective, or what you might even call a religious perspective, right? Bad things are happening. You know what we need? We need to pray more. Maybe if I'd have gone to church more often, maybe if I'd have given more, maybe if I'd have been a better person, this wouldn't have happened to me. You know, that maybe if I do, if I work harder, if I pray more, that that's what's going to happen, that sometimes I must not be good enough. That's why this is happening. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, um, that probably doesn't really happen, but it happens a lot more than you think. Have you ever been in a situation where a friend or a neighbor got really bad news, right? Maybe they they got a bad diagnosis or there was a, a, a horrific accident in the family and all of a sudden they said, we need you all to start praying for us because if we can get everybody to start praying, maybe then something good will happen. Maybe God will change his mind. Maybe if we can all start coming to church. I've been in situations where somebody will start coming out of, out of nowhere and we're really glad that they're here. But then you find out that they've gotten some bad news. They're, I've got some bad medical tests that are coming up. So I thought I probably ought to start showing up for church. And then as time goes on, the, the medical situation fades away. And so do they because they believe that they can somehow manipulate God, that somehow by going through those those emotions that they can somehow control what God is going to do in their lives. If If I just pray more, these things wouldn't happen. That's kind of the moralist perspective. The other one is the one that's more secular. It's the people that are are what I call the cynics in our world. We don't see them a whole lot because they obviously don't tend to come to church too often. But these are the people that say, when bad things happen, that is just proof that God doesn't exist. That a good God would not let these happen. So either God doesn't exist or he's out to lunch. He's either incompetent or unable to control the situation. So you can pretty much do whatever you want. And so they use it as proof that God is not involved. Now, the first thing that we learn 
in this book of Job, as it begins to unfold, is both of those are wrong and they are spiritual dead ends. In the very beginning of this book of Job, we have this confrontation that happens between God and Satan. And I want you to understand that in this book, God always is in control. This is not a battle of equals. God is always in control of this situation. And Satan comes and God says, have you seen my servant Job? He loves me, he shuns evil, and he does what is right. So we can certainly say that God, we can certainly say that the moralist perspective isn't true because Job is a, a righteous man. He is a good and a faithful man. So the question is, is what is happening? And maybe you're looking at this and saying, this is a hard book because now you get God and Satan battling over a man's life. And if you do that, if you get stuck in that place, you miss the wonders and the beauty of this book. This is an epic It is actually a a type of writing that is a poetic, lyrical epic that tells why suffering happens in our world. And in this moment, as God says, look at my servant, look at my servant, and, and you hear the response of Satan. He doesn't love you. I know you think that he loves you. He doesn't love you. He only loves the things he gets from you. Now, I know that that sounds brutal, but let's give, let's give the devil his due. I think he's put a finger on the pulse of modern Christianity. Do we love God or do we just love what God can do for us? I told you several, uh, well, probably ever since I've been with you, I am not a very good fire and brimstone pastor. I just, I'm not very good at it. I don't know how to do it. And as, what I'm finding is as I get older, I really despise it quite a bit. Have you ever been to a fire and brimstone? Hey, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? And if you don't want to spend eternity in hell, then you come up here and you sign this card or you say the prayer. You don't love God for him. You love what he's going to give you. You love what you get from him. Are you here this morning hoping that God will bless you, or are you here because of who he is? This is Satan's big question before God. These people are manipulating you. Don't you see? Job is manipulating you. You're blessing him, and of course he's going to say whatever you want him to say. They're not here because they love you. They just don't want to go there. People aren't running into the arms of a loving father. They're running away from a punishment that they don't want. And Satan is laughing the whole time. See, I told you these people don't love you. They only love what they're getting from you. This is the big question of the book of Job. Are you loving God for who he is? But God says, I can create free lovers. I can create people that will love me for who I am. And Job is one of them. And the question that has to lay before all of you, are you a free lover? Not for what you're going to get, not for what God promises you, not for the sweet by and by that you're hoping to store up for yourself someday, but just because of who he is. How do we know that? Well, sometimes the only way we can know that is by going through that dark place, by going into that dark place and experiencing whenever God seems far away and still following through.
So the first thing that we have to do is we have to avoid those pat answers, those easy answers. We have to stop by saying, if I could just work harder, if I could just be a little bit more spiritual, if I could just give a little bit more, then maybe God would owe me something. Now, I'll be honest with you. I've played that game. Many of you know that when I was an undergraduate, uh, I got my first, my chemistry, I got a chemistry degree. Chemistry was hard. And every Sunday, I was in church saying, Lord, help me on the test that's coming up this week. I did my part. I showed up. How about you do your part and you show up? I didn't love God for him. I only loved him for what he was going to do for me. And Satan realizes that that's part of who we are. We're manipulators. We want to control what God will and will not do in our lives. For example, this past couple of weeks, we've been talking about stewardship, talking about getting connected to the church, being part of the church, being a a lover of the mission of the church. And I've heard other people say, yeah, but what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of it? Because at our very core, God and Satan are always wrestling. Are these lovers or are they manipulators? The second thing that we have to do is we have to embrace not knowing. And I I don't mean just not knowing and then someday it'll all be clear, but never knowing. But giving up the right to know. See, here's the thing. Even through all of this book, at the very beginning, it's the prologue is this conversation that, we, that Kelly just read between God and Satan. And then the bulk of the book is the common theories about why people suffer. And I know that you've heard them, right? If you do good, you get good. If you do bad, you get bad. And his friends gather around him and say, Job, I know you're suffering. You must have done something wrong. So confess what you did wrong, admit to it, and things will go right for you. And Job says, but I I don't know. I can't think of anything. I don't know what I've done. I can't blame God, and I haven't done anything wrong. At the very end, there's a confrontation that happens between God and, and Job. But God never admits to Job, this Job, this is what's been happening. I know that this is painful. I know that this has been bad, but for the next 3,000 years, people will be studying your life and your story in order to understand why life is. It'll all work out. He never does that. I've had other people that will come in and they said, if I could just understand why this is happening, if God would just explain, why why do I have to have cancer? Why, Why did my marriage fall apart? Why do these things happen to good people? But in order to do that, that would put you back in control. You want the answers. You want God to provide for you. And then you can sit judgment about, is it really worth the pain of going through this suffering? We have to go through a time of not knowing. Faith is not opposite to reason, but sometimes it is opposed to our feelings and our appearances. Sometimes how we feel And what's going on around is not really what's happening. There's so much that Job does not understand about the backstory that you are allowed in on. You are allowed to see this confrontation that is happening because Satan is coming to God and saying, you can't trust these human beings. They're no good. They're manipulators. They're using you. 
They just want what's in it for them. That's why they're just part-time attenders. That's why they just show up on occasion. That's why they give just their very bare minimum. They want what they can get from you, not what you can do for them. And Satan is laughing the whole time. But Job doesn't fall for it. So how do we remain strong in the midst of a difficult, gut-wrenching suffering that we all know that we're going to go through? This is basic to human condition. Not just good people, not just bad people. All of us go through this time, what is called the dark night of the soul. The first thing that we have to do is we have to basically trust his heart. We have to recognize that we have to realize that God still really deeply loves us. Sometimes when I've gone through very difficult times, and sometimes when, it, when I have to prepare for a funeral, this is a poem that I love and I've used many times. God is too good to be unkind, and so when you don't understand and when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. Can you have that relationship that is so deep, so personal, and so intimate that when you don't know how to take the next step, you can trust God to be there to guide you that one more step? Now, here's the problem. You can't do that part-time. You can't have a part-time relationship and really know God's heart. You can't just say, I'm going through the motions, and so I know what God is doing. You have to have that deep personal intimacy with who he is. We have to trust his heart. We also have to learn to lean on others. This is why God created the church, a community where people can look at you as you come in and say, how are you this morning? We know how to answer that question, right? I'm fine. How are you? Somebody says, well, you seem different today. Is everything okay? I've noticed that you don't seem to have the same step. You don't have the same energy. Are you okay? How are things going? You have to learn to lean on one another. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, pity the person that falls and has no one to help them up. We gather as a church so that we can get to know one another, so that we can help people through this dark time that we're all going to go through to develop our faith, to let it grow. We need to lean on one another. And we also have to build our life on reality. You see, so often we have this idea that once you become a Christian, once you become a Christ follower, life is good, right? Life is going to be good for you. If you keep your nose clean and you work hard and, and you stay out of trouble, life will be fine. That's not exactly how it turned out for the disciples. The story is, or tradition has it, that all of them were martyred except for one. That's what you signed up for. The hard work of being a disciple, of not knowing, of trusting God and saying, God, I know that you're putting me in a place in order for me to experience more of who you are. Jesus told us in, in Matthew chapter 6, he said, for the disciple, he said, now, where are you going to build your life? On a rock that is sturdy and, and has a strong foundation or on sand? Because when that tragedy comes, when the waters rise and sweeps both of the foundations, are you going to be able to stand? Now is the time for you to be asking those questions. What does the future hold for me? So whenever you're faced with the unknown, 
You feel like God has left you and, and abandoned you and, and you feel that gut-wrenching, where do I go from here? We have to avoid pat answers. We have to embrace the sense of just not knowing of where do I go from here? And then finally, we have to anticipate God's ultimate answer. The bottom line is all that death can do for us Christians is to make our lives infinitely better. There are two things that I want us to see in this. First of all, there is what I call deep emotional realism. It tells us that Job, after all of these tragedies, right, all of his possessions and his children, his children do not belong to him. They are, you are stewards of these lives that you are holding. And after all of this, Job shaves his head, tears his clothes, sits in an ash pile, and he grieves. And it tells us that he worshiped God. Now, as Westerners, if you've ever gone to a funeral and you ever had anybody tear their clothes, shave their head, and cry out, you say, wow, they've kind of lost it, haven't they? But it tells us that in all of this, Job did not sin. Emotional grief is not a bad thing. It tells us that as Christians, it's okay to express our emotions to God. But it also tells us that in the end, Job says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave me all of these things and the Lord takes them away. Praise be to God. Job has not put his life and stock in his possessions. He's put them into to God. He, he recognizes that his ultimate answer is in God alone. And so as a result that when suffering comes to all of us, if we feel that our health is being taken away, if we feel that our possessions are being taken away, we will either grieve even more deeply, we will become sadder and sadder, madder and madder and more closed off if that is the ultimate source of, of our reality. But if God is the ultimate source of your identity, then when you go through the hard times, it's gonna push you even farther into his arms, into that moment of intimacy, that sense of who we are and what we can become. So the story of Job is, is a time where Satan comes to God to accuse God about us. You can't trust these human beings. They don't love you. They only love what they're gonna get from you. And God didn't bite. He said, Satan, you can touch his things, but you cannot touch the man. You can go this far and no farther because Job is a free lover that loves me for who I am, not the things that he has. Now, this story is parallels another story that was told very back at the very beginning of the Bible. Satan approached two young people in the garden and he told him about a tree that had a beautiful fruit. And Eve said, well, God loves us. And God said that we can't have that fruit or we shouldn't have that fruit. And Satan says, you can't trust him. He's holding out on you. Don't you realize he's using you? He's manipulating you. And we bought the lie. And guess what? We're, we're still buying that lie. We can't really trust God with our possessions and our lives and our future. We have to hold some of that back. 
And so God offered up another gift, another garden experience, where Jesus was praying at a stone, much like the one that's behind the screen. And he was praying, and he was pouring out his heart, and he said, I don't want this to happen if there's any way this cup can be taken from me, but not my will, but your will be done. And so Satan learned that there are things called free love, that we can, as human beings, become free lovers of God, not because of what we're getting, but because of who he is. I wanted to tell a story about a book. If you've ever get a chance to read The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. I haven't mentioned C.S. Lewis in a long time, so I thought I'd throw it in. C.S. Lewis is a story about demons that, are, that Lewis is writing about how to manipulate the human mind and the human behavior, how to, how to twist what we're thinking so that we avoid that deep relationship with God. And in this passage, he's talking about how their cause can be threatened by our obedience. Screwtape writes, he said, our cause as demons is never in more danger than when a human, no longer desiring, not wanting it, but still intending to do the enemy's will, looks around upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And so all of us at some point in our lives will go through that time of saying, God, why am I being forsaken? And it's in that moment and in that moment that will reveal more about who you are and your relationship to God than any other thing. Who am I? Am I a manipulator that just wanted to get into heaven someday? Or am I truly loving who God is for who he is, not what I can get from him? I like this quote that I offer to you. I am stronger because I had to be. I am smarter because of my mistakes. I am happier because of the sadness that I have known. And I am more loving because I have known loneliness. And I am wiser because I trust God's heart. The book of Job is a revelation about God offering you a new path, a new future, but one that is based solely on his heart. Not about what you can get or what you can manipulate or what is promised to you someday, but simply to have a love affair with God the Father. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have come this morning not because we deserve to be here, but as your children, you have called us here to your side. Father, it is so easy for us to just look at the things that we get and not the person that you are, the sacrifice that you've made, the love that you have that permeates all that we say and do and the future that lies before us, we, we come to offer you our hearts. Sometimes we are so distracted by what we can get that we fail to see who you are. Help us, we pray. Restore to us the joy of your presence among us. 
This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.